okay. <laughs> yeah. Hey, what up, baby? Let me give it to you. Uh. What's up, motherfuckers? So, welcome to episode 8. We're stumbling on some real territory here. Uh, I went and tried to record a, a short solo episode today, but it turns out it's a full-length interview with myself <laughs> about the topic of meditation. And this is something extremely important that I've decided uh, I'm going to make a little mini-series here on because... Right now, this is the most important thing I could talk to you about. I mean, this is this is this is it. Like, this is transcendentally it. This is more important than uh most. <laughs> so, like, I've been super passionate about diet for my whole life, let alone the past two years as a carnivore. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff I'll get into there. I'm kind of shocked. Eight episodes in, I haven't done. <laughs> like a diet-based thing yet, but kind of proves the point, right, that this is more important. Uh, this is the ultimate, the ultimate thing, the ultimate hack, the ultimate um, noun, adjective, combo, what, uh, whatever you want, like the ability to interface honestly with what your actual lived experience like are you alive are you experiencing things okay this applies to you right like what is the prescription for that path uh what do you do to make it better yeah raise a great family have a family narrative those are all wonderful things but you know Right now, literally this second, if your ears are capturing my mouth noises right now, uh, what do you do now? Like right now, like fucking this second uh, in 10 seconds from now and whatever you're doing 10 minutes after that, right? What do you do? What do you do? Uh, What is the ultimate lever of self-control how do you make the experience of existence not this unwelcome unasked for sort of perpetual torture right like everybody's anxious everybody's sad everybody hates themselves what next well Hello, and welcome back for episode 8. So, I'm keeping you on your toes and broke the streak here of alternating solo and guest interview episodes. I wanted to do double solo because I want to talk about a topic that I want to build out from my perspective first uh, before I talk about it specifically with anyone else. So, that topic is meditation. It's something that I've referenced a few times now as something I really want to discuss in depth. And I have my buddy Dash, who is a Buddhist, 
that I will be having on at some point. Hopefully after this episode, we'll see if the schedules align. But either way, I wanted to do a quick solo episode here. Uh, and I won't set the 11-minute timer. I want to build this out totally uh, on its own terms. So we'll just, however long it takes, I'll try to be condensed. So I want to kind of build out the secular understanding of contemplative practices like meditation, kind of the, the, the whole purview of what that really is and what it can bring to your life and kind of the most fundamental, powerful aspects of it. So uh, let's talk about it. Let's talk about meditation. Uh, when, we, when we hear the word meditation, when I say it, um, it probably brings up images of you know monks or Buddhism, kind of Eastern mysticism and just peacefulness, you know, calm mind, things like that. Uh, and we tend not to view it much more than that. Uh, it's sort of just a, I don't know, a nice mental habit kind of akin to, oh, I don't know, stacking rocks in a river or cleaning your house or doing yard work. Uh, we tend to associate it with really that depth of experience, only that kind of superficial level, I think. I don't think the conception that I have now of it is what most people share. And so that's what I'm going to try to impart, is just the depth that I think this entire concept brings. Um, so to put that a bit more concretely, let's talk about exercise, like physical training. Uh, physical exercise, outside of some exceptions with you know, ancient Greek societies and things like that, physical exercise in its modern conception um, didn't really exist, you know, and that makes sense. Given the norm of starvation in human history, the notion that you would, like, let's say you were a farmer 200 years ago, kind of just getting by, the notion that after the day's work was done, you were going to go just do 50 push-ups was just absurd. Like, why would you expend the extra energy, um, the calories when food is so important. Um, and you're basically just working against that. It made no sense. You would thought to be crazy. You just naturally got the strength, um, from physical activities relevant to what you were doing. If you did heavy farm work, you were pretty strong. Uh, if you were a, kind of a, an author or a philosopher, you probably weren't. And that was basically it. There was no real connect between what we now know as the obvious benefits of physical exercise, uh, how compound overload works, how your muscle fibers tear and grow, all these things, the capacity that the human organism has for physical training was kind of not elucidated at that point. Uh, and it's only very recently that it has been. But we sort of have it settled now, right? Like, that's not to say that every detail of the physical science, or uh, what's the, the proper term there, the, the science of physical training, every detail of that hasn't been ironed out totally, but mostly. I mean, we, we understand and have an accurate conception now of 
the process and how it works. Maybe we don't know to the individual level what works best for every specific person maximally, right? But we're pretty much there. Uh, we know what that spectrum looks like. Like if you're a morbidly obese person, you do your first push-up or go on a walk because you've seen an Olympic bodybuilder, right? Like, you know where where that path leads. You know the realms of possibility of physical training. You know that it's not up in the air, right? Like, maybe, maybe you don't respond as optimally as other people do, but... If you walk enough, if you run enough, if you do enough uh, physical training and push-ups and weight training, you will lose weight. You will gain muscle. Um, And where you end up is kind of up to you and what you want out of life, what you want your physical form to look and be like. Uh, Your goals are entirely up to you, but no one is debating the fact of exercise, right? No one is debating uh the absolute truth of the fact that it will work right like if you practice if you continue to lift weights even if it's one five pound arm curl okay do that one curl every day now do two now do three right it works it's it's black and white this is unambiguous physics right like this is biology this is how we operate this is just our organism being utilized uh, thanks to scientific knowledge in a productive and constructive developmental way right okay so box that take everything I just said on physical training right I brought that up for a reason take everything you think and feel about physical training right working out the hard, cold, yes, it's for everyone. Yes, it operates black and white in a certain way. There's variations among people, but black and white, this is it, right? Box that, apply that to meditation. It's one for one exchangeable. It's not any different except it's the concept of training towards the mind. Um, And the difference there is that you basically almost have opposite goals uh, where to improve and increase the physical, you increase your exertion. Uh, You're doing resistance training. You're training against harder things, higher resistance. Whereas meditation is the goal for the mind, non-resistance training because your mind is operating quite differently than your physical body does. And I mean this on like the common language, colloquial level. I'm sure there's technical inaccuracies of what I'm saying. But just hear me out. The, the mind is always going and it's just ticking and click, 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 thought, 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 thought. You're just being assaulted endlessly by thoughts, right? Um, it just never ends. I mean, if you're asleep or having sex or whatever, your focus is kind of elsewhere. Um, but so your goal with training the mind is to go the opposite way, right? Like the body wants to be at rest, wants to be fat and eat donuts all day. 
So you work really hard at doing the opposite of that. You anti-donut, <laughs> so to speak. Um, meditation is the same. You're trying to push your brain in ways that are oppositional to the path of least resistance metaphor kind of breaks down there because you are actually taking the ultimate path of least resistance but uh, that's for another time (laughs) so why do i think this why do i think that meditation is quite literally one for one the same i'm not speaking metaphorically here of course the mechanisms of tearing your muscles to grow them and protein synthesis is different than meditation right like those those mechanisms obviously are different right like you're not tearing brain tissue <laughs> uh, when you're meditating the mechanism is mechanism is different but the function is identically the same uh, so I think that because it's been my direct experience now and only through committed practice um, and a particular type of committed practice so let's let's dive into details here because that's sort of the Let's encapsulate that, right? Like that's the high concept answer. If you wanted to, if I'm already boring you, stop now because that's that's the high concept right there is just this is no different than exercise. Whether or not you choose to engage in any physical activity is up to you, right? But it's not unreasonable to suggest that, okay, well, you should probably have some level of physical activity, right? Uh, probably bad things come when you don't and further there's like a good general state of physical fitness right like you don't have to be Arnold Schwarzenegger but like working out two to three times a week pretty heavily leads to a pretty good life right like there is a general prescription uh, and that's not and, and to give that general prescription is not to think you know what's best for everyone in their life, right? You know, the dude's 700 pounds uh, and you suggest taking a walk. <laughs> That's not presumptuous, right? Now, maybe they have a bad reaction to that. Uh, you can be tactful about your delivery, but that's there's nothing delusional or self-important or over, overly... Uh, like you, you're not, you're not an exercise zealot. You're not like so into exercise, bro, to like, to have that framework, right? To think that, hey, 700 pound man, maybe, maybe just take a 10 minute walk, you know, and maybe uh, a year or two down the road, you could, you know, be some Chad uh, who does, you know, 50 pushups a day, which isn't a crazy amount, but if you got to that point, your body would look and feel much better, operate better, all these things. Whether or not you choose to do that or engage with that path is your own choosing, right? But, like, that's that. All right, so let's put that point to bed because that's just... I wanted to round that out from kind of every angle with the exercise metaphor because, again, I, I truly believe it's one for one. Um, now, with meditation... Let's flesh out some of the details there, because immediately, whenever I've talked about it now, uh, with my new enthusiasm for meditation, I get hit with the inevitable same couple things, really. 
Um, almost universally, most people are not um, committed practicing meditators, right? Like most people have no sincere contemplative practice. Those that do are either explicit meditators or they're Buddhists or they are very devoutly religious because long, sincere, focused prayer is meditation. Um, so there's that category of people, uh, which is a minority. And then there's most people who don't do anything of this sort. Uh, they have self-reflection, but no sincere, you know, explicit practice of any form other than some activity that brings them some kind of flow state, right? Like, oh, yeah, meditation sounds great, bro. <laughs> yeah, but, but like when I work out, I'm kind of in the zone, you know? Uh, or I've got my little garden, my gardening. I'm really kind of focused and the thoughts kind of goes away. Or, uh, you know, when I'm painting or making music, if that's my meditation. And so I'm here to say two things about that kind of pushback. Because that's the number one thing you hear back, is that what you're saying is nice and wonderful, uh, but I'm going to go ahead and filter that through the experience I already have, an equivalent, equivalize, make equivalent those experiences. Um, Now, what I'm here to suggest is that they're not equivalent, right? Like, your Zen garden, your workout routine your long walk in the woods, um, those are absolutely meditative activities, and I would never push against doing those. If that's all you have, do those. But to be specific here, what I'm suggesting is that those activities are taking a gentle, short walk in the physical training realm. So, you're not deadlifting, right? You're not training in the gym. You're never going to make radical physical changes to your musculature. You might get some muscle tone in your legs, perhaps. Uh, You might drop some pounds. Your back might feel better from the weight loss. But you're not going to enter a true sense of physical wellness, comprehensive strength, and vitality. You're not going to get there just taking walks, right? Like, which isn't to suggest that walks aren't beneficial or important or bring good things. They do. But you wouldn't, if a professional bodybuilder comes to you and says, like, here's my workout routine, you're like, (laughs) glad that works for you, bro. That's just you and something about, I guess, just... Picking up 500 pounds makes your chest real big. But I do walks. (laughs) Now, okay, so... A, I'm not suggesting I'm the mental version of a professional bodybuilder. But I do think that that metaphor there is apt. Because, again, and it's not that I'm just sitting here shitting on some imaginary person. This is kind of the conglomeration of things I've heard back. uh, And I'm tearing them down in such a way to help hopefully demonstrate 
what meditation is and is not and what that path is. Okay, so now let's build out the details of what that is and what physical fitness looks like in the meditation realm, right? Like the three times a week, uh, really well-built bodybuilder. What is that in meditation, right? So what's my answer to this? If I'm going to sit here and complain about people's knee-jerk reactions to thinking they already kind of know the path, I'm going to be frank, no, they don't. Almost without exception, you probably haven't thought about meditation to completion um, in the same way that you can think about physical exercise to completion. So you can conceptualize the full purview of physical fitness, right? Let's build out mental fitness, um, at least in the meditation practice. So the opposite of like, I'm going to multitask and think really hard and be smart or something like that, like true grounded wellness in the mind. So what is it? Well, I've, I've sat here for like, oh, what is this? Like <laughs> 17 minutes now, uh, kind of building out the concept of a metaphor of what it is compared to something you already know. But at its core, it's as simple as physical exercise, which is why I keep going back to it. The, the concept of physical exercise is resistance, right? Like your body with homeostasis adapts to a stressor and grows in response to that. And you get these benefits. You unlock new abilities, right? Like if you could never do a pull-up ever, uh, but then you lose some weight, you do some push-ups, other building things, and then boom, you can do a pull-up. Amazing. It's so cool that we can just train and upgrade our abilities like that. We can do that with meditation too, as black and white. And yes, it's for you. And I'm sorry, but no, you're not special for, oh, but my mind just goes all the time, man. Me too. And so does everybody else. That's that's the nature of mind. <laughs> so the same way that working out is that is predicated on that simple topic. So is meditation. So what's what's the simple truth of meditation? It's not clearing your mind. It really isn't. Now, is your mind going to be more frequently clear or quieter or simpler once you've engaged in a long-term practice of meditation? Absolutely. Inevitably, that's going to be kind of the end product, the same way that big muscles are, or bigger muscles are the end product of training. The crux of a contemplative practice like meditation, though, is, like I've said, it's, it's not the clearing itself. And that's what a lot of people get wrong. That's what I got wrong, too, the first time I kind of toyed with uh, meditation. The core is just noticing when you're thinking and when you're not. That's it. If you want to know everything there is to know about the practice of meditation, it's literally just training your mind to notice things, to notice when you're lost in thought to notice when you are identifying yourself and indeed the entire field of consciousness that you experience, identifying that larger pre-existing notion of consciousness with 
your own personal thinking and tying those two intimately together is the logical and experiential error that meditation practice seeks to point out. All it is is the pointing. All you're doing is, oh, I was thinking. Oh, I just got lost in a a virtual argument with my significant other for 15 minutes in my own head, and I didn't see my daughter do this wonderful thing, or I wasn't really paying attention to what my coworker was saying, right? Like that's, that's meditation, right? That is it. That is the, the entire practice, whether you do transcendent meditation, mindfulness, uh, some sort of religious perspective, uh, long-term devotional prayer, whatever you're doing, the goal is to just break that spell, is to notice that there is this pre-existing condition called consciousness and that things are just arising within it. Like if you've listened this far and you have found this interesting and you're still engaging with it, there are your surroundings, right? Like if your eyes are open, there is a panoramic sense of the space that you're in. Uh, There's peripheral vision of your body, uh, direct vision of your body if you're moving it in front of your eyes. Uh, You can even see parts of your face like your nose. You can hear my voice uh, hitting your ears. You might be listening to the timbre and the tone of my voice, the pitch, uh, the little mouth sounds that I make, the characteristic speech patterns and flaws in the the typical way that I speak that aren't present in perfect English. Uh, All these things are just arising in your consciousness right now. Uh, And you can pay attention to whatever you want. Like, you can basically totally drone me out. Perhaps you already have. (laughs) Uh, And you can totally focus on the device that you're listening to this podcast on, right? Like, if you're listening on your phone with some headphones, uh, you can just look at your screen and just kind of, to the exemption of anything else, pay attention to that screen, right? So you have... You have control over where your attention is fixated, but that's it. That's that's entirely it. You have absolutely no control over what is appearing in your consciousness. And further, you have no control over the, the thoughts that appear in your consciousness. That's why, and maybe I can delve further specifically into free will in its own little mini tangent episode, but that's why fundamentally I no longer believe that we have free will in the sense that we discuss it um, in common language. We obviously make choices. The The fact that I decided to get up at 5 a.m. and make this podcast and get so serious about it and record it in depth and not just make a five minute, yeah, meditation's great, bro, here's your clickbait little article bit, you know, like, the fact that I'm choosing to structure this one a bit longer for a solo one, the fact that I'm choosing to put the particular energy and the pauses in my words, yada, yada, end up, down, up, whatever, like, to the full extent, everything that I'm doing 
is something that I am compelled to do, right? Like I'm, I'm choosing those actions, but the notion that I chose to do that other than not do that, right? Like there is an alternate version of myself that just stayed in bed and said, sorry guys, I'll make it tomorrow or Wednesday, right? Like I've got to get ready for work. Um, did I choose that? I mean, it, it felt like today I chose to make the podcast, but like, why did I do that? Like, there have been days where I didn't, right? There have been days where I made the podcast in the evening. Who made that choice? Me? I mean, kind of, but not really, right? Like, what's your favorite movie? Something popped in your head, right? Even if it was multiple choices, because you couldn't decide. Why did those choices pop up? Did you think about Ratatouille? Probably not. Uh, but that's a movie. That's something. Why didn't that thought pop in your head? Why did it pop in my head to bring up Ratatouille? Right? Like I could have said Titanic. Why did I say Ratatouille? I chose it. Sure. But like, what was the prior cause that brought Ratatouille? Right? Well, that's kind of what I'm circling around here. That's consciousness. There's just this field of consciousness. I have a mind operating in it. And that thought arose in my consciousness. I didn't choose for it to arise. I chose to say it. uh, But even then, it's just the experience of choosing. There was no truth of choosing. Right. And so anyway, that's kind of my little uh, insight into what I think about free will. You're still making choices. Uh, you're still steering the canoe, but the, the river pushing you is not you. You're not the river. You're in the river. Um, <coughs> anyway, relating that back to meditation, uh, that that's an important insight because that helps when you're practicing to notice that you aren't your thoughts, your thoughts are just arising in consciousness. And if you're going to have a sincere practice, keep doing that. Keep noticing that you are just thinking, right? Notice that you aren't the thinking. In any given moment, there's every bit of opportunity to be as blissful as you've ever felt, if not for the self-torture of your own thinking, right? So hopefully you're still listening and you're kind of interested because here's the here's the buy-in, here's the clickbait that I should have started <laughs> this talk with and maybe I'll make my own intro, like I'll do my typical little like, oh, here's what we talked about, but I'll bring that forward. I don't know. But that's that's the end game here, right? Why do this? Because you're granted ultimate freedom from yourself, which is what we otherwise spend our entire lives seeking, right? Like, why did you commit to a partner that there's pros and cons to, but that you ultimately feel you can live with uh, so that you can have kids and raise your family and have a decent career and retire comfortably and die well after you know, making the type of mark you wanted to make, doing the things that you've done, and being felt lovingly uh, 
from those around you. Like, why, why are you doing that? Why are you choosing to live your life at all? Why are you, why are you motivated to have goals and to act on them? Right? It's because of the notion that, well, the flawed notion that you'll ever arrive at some place, which you won't, your life is continuously just solving problems on the path to your goals. And your goals are just contracts you've made with yourselves to be unhappy and, and uh, until some future condition is met. And when that future condition is met, you're just met with another goalpost and you're only happy for a brief fleeting moment. Your satisfaction is hollow and, and, and tiny and it's, uh, and it's, and it's ex- existence, right? So like think of an old story of the time you won the big football game or whatever your equivalent is, right? Maybe when you think back now, you have a few glowing moments of, yeah, but like, you still happy about that right now, 10 years later, Monday morning, getting ready for work? No. (laughs) So your life is constant struggle, um, and it's the process of solving problems. And so enjoy the process. The way to do that isn't just, you know, putting a bunch of fortune cookies on your wall and watching a bunch of Hallmark movies and listening to motivational podcasts every day to try to maintain that fleeting sense of metaphysical motivation, right? To maintain that sense of, yeah, life's got purpose and I'm going to get it and be a success, right? Like there's, there's, I'm not disparaging that. That's something valuable, but that's, that's not it either, Chief. Like, it's, you have and have only ever had the present moment. That is all that you can ever experience. You have the present moment, and then you have yourself either thinking about the future or remembering the past. Those are the only things you've ever experienced in your entire life. And they are the only things that you will ever experience, ever, right? Those are the options for as complicated and as broad of a nuanced experience the human condition is. It is quite literally just those three options. You are either here right now, you are somewhere in the future, or you are stuck in the past, for better or for worse. Maybe it's a good past memory. Maybe it's a, a terrible regret. Maybe it's a wonderful idea about your future. Maybe it's anxiety over your job interview next week, right? Or you're sitting here truly listening to the sound of my own voice. You are experiencing the the feeling, the vocal effect of my consciousness on yours. Perhaps you are truly experiencing that. Perhaps you are enraptured by this moment right now and you're totally captivated by what i'm saying you're listening intently you're not having a further monologue with yourself you're just in the moment you're probably not for multiple reasons i i would love to think that i'm that compelling i'm probably not right like you might be interested in what i'm saying maybe you've at this point you've come back because yeah, you think this one's kind of dull, but you want to hear it out, so you listen to the first part, and you're revisiting it. Maybe your commute ended at this point, right? But 
there's a million little things, right? But those are all happenstance reasons you might have entered this state of experience or through training and through conscious effort, you're just experiencing. Uh, and that's, that's the meditative goal. So let's break down the, the specifics of that process, right? There's the value of actually living a fulfilled life, right? Like that's the buy-in here. Why, why keep listening, right? Like this is a solo episode that's going to be longer than any other solo episode. Why? Why listen? Uh, why bother with this podcast? It, whether or not I'm right or wrong, uh, I'm here to fervently put out the case that the types of effects and training you get out of a meditative practice um, is to live a better life. It's to be happier. It's to not be so fucking tortured in every goddamn minute of every fucking terrifying breath of existence, all right? Like, your anxiety, your depression, you have these states, whether or not you are clinically consistently in those things. You feel these things, right? Do you want to be free from your own goddamn suffering? <laughs> like, that's the point. Why, why do you want to go have passionate sex, the most amazing, mind-blowing sex you've ever had? Yeah, there's the the logical implication of having this uh, uh, deep connected moment with another person, this sharing of ecstasy. Yeah, there's something to that transcendental, but what is it really? In that moment of most intense blissful orgasm, you're just free from thought, right? Like when you're killing it at the, this, like let's say you love tennis and you've practiced for 20 years and you finally have some crazy peak game, right? And you are just totally in a flow state, lost in the moment. Um, that's that's the goal of meditation, is that those moments are accessible right now. Right now. You can feel that same way. Are you going to? No, almost certainly not. But with training, you'll get closer and closer to that point and punctuate your daily life with that realization. And then it's all better, right? Like the walls between you and other people, the, the complexes you have preventing you from, from growing uh, in, in the ways that you could those can all be broken down systematically in the same way that you can reach a level of strength where you're healthy and you feel good physically and you can overcome any challenge brought to you by the physical world. You can do that with meditation, black and white as concretely. All right. So that's kind of my, my soapbox on why you should do this, right? Like, you should do it for you. You should do it because everything you're doing in your life, all the growth you've had as a person, all the reflections you've you've had, all the ways in which you've realized something that has improved you, 
you can just do that directly. You can just practice that specifically. You don't have to bounce around with blinders on in the dark in a cluttered room until eventually you find a light switch, right? And, and just keep bouncing around till hopefully, excuse me, hopefully you illuminate the room. Hopefully at some point, oh God, finally the lights are on, right? I turned all the lights on. You can take the blinders off and find the damn light switches, right? Maybe it'll take a while. Uh, maybe there's some process you've got to develop, but you can do it, all right? You 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 don't have to stumble in the dark, and and you're not unique for your dark stumbling, right? You're not someone for whom this isn't a concrete path. This this is unambiguous. This is not something in the air that may or may not work for you. The only thing up in the air is whether or not you're going to do it. That's up to you. But you should try. Uh, I think that if you can find a way to be committed for a while to a meditation practice, do it. Force yourself. Do something new. Um, it's, it's worth it. And so I want to end this off with sort of my direct experience now. Um, I kind of inverted this whole thing, really. I should have started with <laughs> the more captivating parts uh, and brought that. But whatever. Uh, so my experience with meditation and why I'm so... Why did I just rant for 38 minutes, right? If you're still here, here's the juicy bits. Here's my experience. Um, like most people, uh, I hadn't meditated explicitly my whole life. Um, never really done it. Uh, especially, I, I think everyone has an active mind that's hopping from thought to thought, but I think particularly my mind was very active. Um, and so it never felt like it worked for me, right? Like, I never felt like I could meditate because I'd sit and try to clear my mind, which didn't work, obviously. And I'm just being bombarded by thought. And rather than the important insight of, oh, I'm being bombarded by thought. Let's see that for what it is. Rather than that, I just got bombarded by thought and went, oh, man, I'm just always bombarded by thought. Guess it doesn't work for me, right? And so I was just always like that. Like, yeah, sure, would love meditation. I can picture that it must be great to be calm and clear-headed all the time. Uh, I guess I'm just not a monk. Maybe I should be a monk. I don't know. Um, like most people, right? And so it wasn't till I repeated that tired script that everyone uses about meditation uh, to an actual meditator that I finally kind of got a little waking up call. Um, I, I said it like usual, like, yeah, I tried it, but I really just, I'm, not, I'm bad at it. Uh, can't clear my mind. I'm just too active. That kind of special snowflake response we all have. Oh, I'm just exempt, <laughs> right? And this person who is an actual meditator went, well, yeah, no shit. Uh, you, think, you think Michael Jordan was just 
amazing the very first time he touched a basketball. And it kind of clicked for me a little bit there, right? Like I didn't I didn't have the view at that point that I do now that it, it really is like picking up a basketball. Um, but the core concept made sense. I was like, yeah, okay. Um, and so that I thought I would give it a shot. I'm obviously one for taking on new lifestyles and new approaches and applying it hard and committing to it for a period of time to see how it how it goes. Uh, so I I resolved to commit to actually doing something. Uh, so I downloaded the Headspace app and I paid for a year subscription because I thought, you know, if I actually pay for it, it's going to be more likely to force me to use it. Uh, so so I bought it and used it and I actually committed to it and I I used the app for 10 minutes a day for 420 days straight. Blaze it. You know what I'm saying? But so obviously I did it for a year and then just committed to it for 420 days just for the memes of it all. But that's the path that I took for that. And the Headspace app is very nice. Uh, the guy's voice is soothing and it's certainly helpful and nice and it's great. For me, it didn't really do anything profound for me. Uh, so that's an important caveat I want to address right now. Uh, I did 420 days of mindfulness meditation for 10 minutes a day. And it didn't teach me any of the things that I'm so passionate about now. Because I have a new practice now. Um, and I learned none of those lessons, right? So the deep, passionate reason for going on like I have about this, I have now, um, and I want to help convey those things to others. Uh, and I bring this brief little pause up because it's entirely possible that you could commit to a meditation practice and not see this. This is a sort of true uh, horse drinking the water kind of a moment, right? Like you can go to the river and sit by it and it's nice, but tasting the water is something else. Um, and just live action narrating here. I think my form in this one's pretty poor uh, because it's truly five in the morning and I'm <laughs> just talking about the topic as it arises and I'm not like structuring it well. Uh, but anyway, so I did the 420 days and it was nice, right? Like uh, I did it in my work breaks in the morning. It brought a certain sense of decompression, uh, bodily awareness, some degree of knowing that my mind was cluttered and just a vague notion that just noticed that these are happening and kind of let it go. Uh, but not much beyond that. Um, I will say that at one point, I got particularly relaxed and spaced out. Um, and I my eyes rolled to the back of my head, actually. And the, the, uh, the locus of self, like my, my own location to me, like if you have to say, where's Connor? Like if, or if I have to say that, 
I'm kind of behind my eyes. You know what I mean? Like, if I had to echolocate the center of me, it's kind of behind my eyes, right? And that's probably where you feel you are, too. Uh, in this moment that I'm remarking on in my first foray into meditation, my eyes rolled to the back of my head. <coughs> and uh, that sense of location shifted up into my forehead, kind of around the third eye spot. And I kind of had visions a little bit, kind of. Uh, I felt kind of elsewhere. So that was neat. That was an interesting experience. Um, certainly unusual. But that was about it. Uh, you know, I, I, I at times kind of felt that feeling when I would meditate. But that was that was basically it, and so I didn't I didn't stick to it past my my four twenty days because I had committed to my time period and I did it, and having accomplished it, I was like, all right, and I just kind of here and there I would meditate when I felt I needed to, but ultimately I gave it up and I just didn't touch it for like two years. So Naval Ravikant, uh, he's a thinker. I highly recommend. Uh, his stuff is great. Just go listen to his Joe Rogan podcast. It's worth the two hours and change. It's absolutely worth it. Uh, the recommendations he gives you and the life advice and things. The fact that that's free and out there, that's great. <laughs> like, it's worth your time. Go go do it. Uh, anyway, in that episode and more broadly, he does talk about meditation and a lot of the things that I'm touching on, he mentions, and I'm sure I've even parroted some of his conclusions here. Um, but he recommends a totally different practice. Uh, so mindfulness meditation is just generally it's it's watching your breath, like just paying attention to that centering like I, I mentioned before how you can control what your attention is on generally uh, the general approach to meditation is to just practice putting that onto an object uh, like like breathing perhaps sounds perhaps a mantra in, in a more religious approach um, but all it is is fixating your attention and training that fixation. And so that's traditional mindfulness. Now, Naval Ravikant points out that the end game of any contemplative practice is to drop, drop it, right? Like with traditional mindfulness, you, you pay attention to the breath until you get so good at doing that that that's all that you can pay attention to. You're just singularly focused on it to the exclusion of anything else, and you have this beautiful tunnel vision flow state moment of nothing but experiencing the breath. Okay, we'll keep doing that, and eventually the center kind of drops out, and you're not even paying attention to that, and you're just witnessing. You're just experiencing the conscious moment. That's the end game of any meditation practice. So Naval points out that you can do that, you can take that path, and there are many paths to get there, or just go straight there. 
just let everything totally loose and wide open. So he recommends, as opposed to what I did, a 10-minute breath-watching exercise, he says, for 60 days, commit to 60 minutes a day of meditation in the morning, unbroken. So sit down, get comfortable, close your eyes, set a timer for an hour, make sure there's not going to be alarms going off before that, your notifications are silenced, uh, you're in a good spot, and then just sit there and let everything happen for an hour. If you are twitchy and you can't quite sit still, okay, sit there and scratch your leg and then scratch your your lip and then the back of your head and then now your ear and oh your back doesn't feel quite right and oh there's mine and oh that felt good and you know like do it just literally fight nothing for an hour just commit to the hour and try to generally sit there and obviously the general state you want to be in is eyes closed sitting silently kind of calmly but even then if really you had to go up and pee go be and then come back close your eyes and resume right the whole point is commit to the block and nothing else let every thought fly don't fight it if you have a shower argument so to speak for 20 minutes about oh my coworker last week oh i should have said that thing when he was yelling at me just go ahead and stew on it just sit there and stew on it right that's that's his prescription for practice because the notion being if you do that for 60 days, for 60 minutes a day, and you commit to it, excuse me, at a, at a certain point, you just, you hit inbox zero, um, and you're just kind of there, present. And so I had heard him say that, and that sounds cool, uh, sounds plausible, uh, but I never committed to it, much like you're almost certainly going to hear my words and not do anything. <laughs> almost certainly... Even if you listen to this whole thing, you're not going to change a thing. You're not going to adopt a meditation practice. You're not even going to try. Almost without fail. I doubt any single person listening to this that's not already doing it, maybe they'll flirt with it. Maybe they'll try it for a day or two and quit, right? Almost no one's going to follow this path. Just, Just being frank about it. That's just the reality of the situation. But it's worth saying, right? And it's worth me putting the passion and the effort to say all these things and to lay it out because maybe some point in the future you will. Uh, Maybe you'll remember this and do it. That's what happened with me. I thought Naval had a great point and I had my previous experience to go off of the 420 days. And I was like, okay, yeah, I can kind of see that, right? I didn't do it though. And I'd heard that a long time ago, but it wasn't until a few months back that um, that I did it. Now, a lot of stuff had gone on in my personal life. My work situation was really weird because of COVID. I was just not in a great place. Well, I, I had just come out of a not great place, but I wasn't good, right? Like I was out of the bad place, but I wasn't, you know, into the clear. I wasn't like good. Um, and so it kind of struck me because I heard him say it again in some other context, 
his prescription for meditation practice. And I went, you know what? Yeah, fuck it. Now's the time. Let's do it. I I know I need this in my life. I'm going to try it. I'm going to commit to it. I'm going to do the 60 days, right? So I did. And I have a calendar. I'm going to cross out cross off each day as I do it, I'm going to do 60 days. So I did. Um, and so I, I remember, you know, it's, it is pretty intense, right? Like to schedule something in for an hour every morning is a lot. Um, and I, even though I was totally open to it, I was deciding for myself to do it. It was still kind of a weird feeling, right? Like the first time I sat down on my couch, uh, put my phone on an airplane and set an alarm for an hour and one minute past right now, folded my legs and sat comfortably and just sat there. Like the immediate thought is like, really, really doing this now, I guess. Uh, Really gonna just fucking sit here for an hour gotta go to work in a little bit (laughs) like that thought definitely comes up right don't quit like that's the point right um you just you're just committed to sitting there for an hour just even if you're sitting there like oh man i'm fucking i just want to get start get ready for the day and i need to shower and as long as you've mapped out your morning and you've got that hour just go ahead and do that hour right that's the that's the only metric of success for this particular method, which I will say I immediately liked. Um, so let's break down what was it like? What was what was it like meditating for an hour every morning for 60 days? Well, first and foremost, it was so good that I'm still doing it like four months, five months, I don't even know anymore. I still mark the days on my calendar, but I haven't even counted. Actually, gonna hit pause here. Let me give you a, an exact number. Hold on. So I tallied it up, and uh, today, when I do my session, because I'm actually, I, I prefer to do it in the morning, but I'm dedicating to the podcast this morning, so I'm gonna have to do it later, which I don't like, but once I've done today's session, uh, it will be the 133rd day in a row, unbroken. Uh, like three days ago, I didn't do a full hour for the first time. So out of the 133 days, literally 100%. Uh, the other day, uh, I was at work and I was I was breaking it up throughout the day. And I think I cumulatively missed like... I don't know, 25 minutes out of the full hour, something like that. I still meditated, but I didn't do the full hour. That was the one day. Other than that, 133 hours of meditation, basically. Um, now, I do recommend that for the first 60 days, try to be as pure and as consistent. Full hours, only morning, 100%, right? I've done that pretty much the entire time. <laughs> but now, of course, I just try to make sure it happens. Um, and ultimately, just make sure it happens for you, too. If you're going to commit to it, stuff comes up, uh, commit to it, and actually do it, right? Anyway, that's how long I've been doing it now. Why? Because uh, it's amazing. Uh, so right away, I noticed when I started that it it felt so different than the 10-minute mindfulness meditation. Now, obviously, 
an hour of meditating in the morning is a huge logistical challenge and you have to be serious right like you have to unless so i'm i'm the type of person that i like to get up a few hours early and just have a slow long drawn out morning um if you're that type of person it's not too big of a shift just commit to sacrificing an hour of that otherwise long morning uh but if you're sort of a, a min maxer and you only get up and prep and shower and do all that quickly and get out as soon as possible, um, yeah, you're going to have to restructure some things and really commit to it. But as long as you do, uh, I think you'll notice right away it's really useful um, because I noticed right away that it was just a good decompression time, right? Um, I would think about what I need to to do at work that day, I would think about, uh, I would think about all the the plans I had, the stresses with people, uh, bad interactions from the previous, like everything. I would just sit there and just kind of think about stuff because I wasn't fighting anything, right? And so it was kind of nice because I would just have a set aside time to reflect. You know, I. And I would start my day feeling pretty fresh because I just sort of dealt with my own daily baggage kind of on the front side of things and I was just good to go. So I liked it a lot. Um, And further, yeah, oh, that sounds like freedom, baby. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that fat ass tailpipe, bitch. (laughs) Anyway, um, I, uh, Sorry, that got me pretty off topic. Uh, the The other thing that I really liked is that there was always a sense of accomplishment. Uh, whereas the 10-minute stuff, I'll be honest, it's it was kind of tiring. It was kind of taxing because you're just sitting there focusing on the damn breath over and over. Um, and if your mind was super scattered that day, especially after you'd had days that were good, like, oh man, I was really focused on the breath yesterday. What a great session. When you have a day where your mind doesn't shut up and you can't focus at all, you feel kind of defeated, right? Like, oh man, oh, that was a bad session. Which strikes me as uh, counter-effective. Like, you're, the point of meditation is acceptance and just embracing what is, right? And so that kind of goes against the grain because you're grading your meditation, right? Like that's the point is to not do that and just keep practicing. Um, That's all fine and well to say, but it's a lot, (laughs) a lot easier said than done, right? Like if your goal is to clear your mind, you're, you're doomed to fail. Uh, But if your goal is to just, do your practice, you're good. Uh, So you could still do that with the breath watching, but I found it so much more intuitive uh, with, let's call it non-resistance meditation. Um, So anyway, a few days in, I'm like, yeah, man, I'm hooked. This is nice. I'm definitely doing the full 60 days. I'll make a decision from there. Uh, This is good stuff though. Uh, It's easy, it's effortless. And it's actually worth the hour that I'm spending. Uh, Even though, full disclosure, there's plenty of times where 
you're going to sit there and be like, uh, I could be just doing something so much more productive with my time right now. Like, you're definitely going to have those thoughts. Just keep sitting there. <laughs> just sit with those thoughts, right? Accept them. Uh, that said, it's still super worth it. Uh, so anyway, I I did all this and enjoyed it. And I noticed, even though I was totally letting myself loose, I kind of followed a pretty a pretty typical progression. Like I noticed around day 15 or so, I had sort of fallen into a general rhythm of things, uh, and I didn't deviate too much. Where I would get all geared up, I'd sit down for the first 15 minutes or so, I'd kind of be twitchy. I would kind of moving a lot, thinking a lot, kind of jittery. My mind would be totally in its natural, you know, rabbit on meth kind of a state. And and little fidget, fidget, oh, this, that, and just, just kind of noise, right? Uh, I would do that, and then I would kind of hit a particular stride, a kind of cruising altitude, where... The clutter would kind of fall away a bit, um, naturally. I, I wasn't forcing that. It would just kind of happen. And I would settle into something, whether it was a core emotional frustration I was holding, like some long-standing argument with someone that got brought up recently, maybe a rejection I faced socially, a success socially, uh, an anger, whatever. Like There'd be something I'd probably fixate on. And just kind of explore that. But the volume would tend to be down a little bit. Uh, sometimes it'd be up. I'd really stew on stuff. And that would be that. I'd have a whole session of stewing. But more more often than not, I would kind of hit a cruise where the noise would kind of die down a bit. And at times, I would enter that same kind of pretty neutral space that I felt... In my previous practice, the 10-minute the stuff, I would kind of settle into that space for like 20 minutes or so. And then for the last third of the session, I'd be kind of coming out of it, kind of conclusions would form about whatever I was thinking about in that session, uh, kind of my path for the day would be clear. Uh, I'd start to get antsy again, like I'd come back up into that high energy state where I'm twitching, I really want to get going. Honestly, typically the last 10 to 15 minutes of my sessions, those are actually the hardest. Uh, those are when I'm like, all right, I can tell it's been a little while now, I'm probably getting close to the end of my session, I want to get going, I've got stuff to do at work, I can feel it, right? Anyway, that's my general experience of the one hour that's kind of what I fall into so nice little punctuation here on purpose I'm stopping slowing down drawing your attention because if you've made it this far congrats you've hit let's see it's an hour four minutes and 20 seconds blaze it whole synchronicity here here's here's the butter zone here's the gold moment i'm sure i've lost most of you uh here's the treasure that i found uh 
that I hope you can find as well that I will keep talking about uh, that I want you to feel. What is that? Well, around day 30, something really peculiar happened. Something really otherworldly. Uh, I was doing my morning session, uh, like usual, and, you know, the first 15 minutes went like normal, and when I had kind of settled in, when I hit that little cruising altitude, the narrative diminished, like usual, and it got quieter and quieter and quieter until it just completely vanished. It was gone. My internal monologue, the the voice in my head, the conversation that I'm having with myself, the, the chatter that I've felt since I was born, save for a few blissful moments, was always there and chattering, except now, day 30, it was just gone. It was just evaporated. And I was left on my couch, awake and alert and present, and I would say fully and truly conscious in a way and in a mode that was totally unique, very, very clear, uh, and unlike anything I'd really experienced. I have actually experienced things like this, but I didn't realize it at the time, but now, devoid of any context, sitting on my couch, sober, just chilling, not fighting anything, I had this profound experience. Uh, so when the chatter went away, I... Okay, so remember how the... In my 10-minute sessions, I felt my sense of center, my sense of self that is typically behind my eyes. I felt that move up to my third eye spot, right? Um, well, in this experience, that shifted from behind my eyes to it kind of dropped out. Uh, so it kind of fell through my body into my core, like my chest, my stomach, my center. It moved there, and then from that point, it spread out panoramically, um, kind of all around me, to the point that there wasn't a center to conscious any longer. There wasn't a sense of I in that moment. There wasn't, there wasn't an actual feeling of self. There was just consciousness and its contents. And that was it. There was no seeker. There was no object to be seeked. There was no any of this. Um, it sounds all wonderful and poetic and metaphorical, right? No, no. Quite literally, very explicitly, this was my direct experience. The same way that getting punched in the face, you feel the pressure. You get blown back. There's the impact. There's like the sound wave. Maybe you hit the ground. Like dead on that same way you would describe that i'm describing my experience now it was a literal thing this wasn't some 
suggestive hypnosis thing that I did. I wasn't on drugs. Like, this is this is how my mind was functioning in that moment. Um, and it was something, honestly, I can only really describe as psychedelic. Um, it was not a psychedelic experience. Uh, now, so here's the awkward part. I have to, some, some, some personal revelation I have to put out there because I know, <laughs> I'm sure family listens to this. And so, well, time to say some things I haven't said out loud to them, but this is more to a general audience. I, I have, of course, had experience with psychedelics and they have a particular character. They have a particular sensation. Uh, they have a particular quality that is distinct from regular consciousness. Um, if you've not had those experiences, uh, probably the next best parallel is something like alcohol or cannabis or even even caffeine. Like let's say you're super straight-laced. Um, you've never tried any of those things. Even just the sense that you're super caffeinated and how this is sort of a... A different experience of your own consciousness uh, altered in a way it was like that right like this was a, a, a profoundly distinct state to the level of psychedelics um, but without kind of the the rockets and the 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 fireworks so to speak sorry my voice is dry I've been going on this topic for a while <laughs> So it it was it was a pure state. It it wasn't it wasn't like psychedelics in that sense of some ooh and ah funhouse, uh, but it was absolutely uh, like a an altered state of consciousness. But the weirdest thing is about it was it wasn't uh, though it was totally distinct from my normal experience. I wouldn't say it was an altered state in the way that. A psychedelic is right like a psychedelic is brought on explicitly because of goofing with your chemistry a little bit but it shows you it shows you the realm of conscious experience right like oh my gosh my consciousness can look like this right same thing here um and so anyway i enter this panoramic experience of consciousness right um and I'm in that state for like a good 15-20 minutes, um, and to try to describe it further, it it escapes a certain description for sure. It really is this sort of radically unique experience of awareness. You're present, you're alert, you're not asleep, you're not dreaming. I've felt those things, and this feels totally different from that. This feels as real as if you had just done a drug, you're alert and experiencing this drug in the new state that it brought absolutely just like that I was experiencing this um, and I was connected with everything there was no barrier I know that there's a piano in my room my eyes were closed but I could sense all of the things around me almost like uh, like the way that people describe ecstasy uh, I actually haven't had that experience but that drug the way that they feel that that dissolution of separation between them and others and them and even objects. I felt that completely. Um, 
and it was just this broad sense of totality and yeah it it's really hard to describe but it was this fundamental experiencing of the rudest root level of consciousness i so back earlier in this episode i'm breaking down the root of what consciousness is right like there's this field of consciousness and there are just things arising in it your thoughts are just part of that but they're not you there's just this prior condition of consciousness and you experience it however you're experiencing it well in this moment i was just immersed in that prior condition right i was everything else that could have arose wasn't arising right like it was just all there so that's about the best way i can summarize what that felt like now coming out of it remember this is still just a i think it was a monday morning just a monday morning on my couch as soon as i came out of that experience that state of consciousness in my session I was washed over by this absolutely profound sense of bliss. Like every cell in my body was washed over with this genuine, genuine, deep sense of well-being, of happiness, of purity, of bliss. Just true, unrestrained happiness. I finished the end of my session. I got up and I'm like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> right? Like, I just sat on my couch and thought about some stuff like I've been doing for the past 30 days. I didn't, I wasn't even training, right? Like, I wasn't doing anything at all. I just sat on my couch this morning and I just, like, got connected to God, <laughs> right? Like, there was this weird alignment of the planets and like my experience and like there's this totally transcendental powerful moment right like what the hell was that <coughs> so that got me pretty jazzed up because uh, like what is that experience right like <coughs> ignore that these are just my words and you haven't probably had this experience directly and you're like oh what what's that about just imagine you had it you'd probably be like yo what You'd want to figure it out too, right? Uh, so that's why I can highly recommend Naval's method because if you commit to 60 days, I have a feeling at some point you're going to, if you don't have that full experience, you're going you're gonna to have something close to it, I, I would think. Um, and so anyway, I did some research because I'm like, what was that? Come to find this wasn't, some unique experience that I had. I mean, for me, it was, right? Like, that's a powerful thing to experience. But this is something that's referenced in countless religions, uh, ideologies, uh, secular practices. It's the concept in, in Buddhism of emptiness, the truth of emptiness. If you want to look up Buddhism and emptiness and all that, that's what I felt in that moment. Uh, from the secular approach, it's known as non-dualistic awareness. Um, and so what had happened was, even though I didn't know this was even a thing, 
And so that's cool because I wasn't seeking it, right? Like this is just something that happened to me. Kind of like an aha awakening moment. Man, I've been going for a while. This coffee's ice cold. <laughs> I uh, I just stumbled into a full-blown, pure state of non-dualistic consciousness and experience uh, for like 15 to 20 minutes. And I've, since then, I've felt plenty of glimpses of the same thing, and I've kind of briefly touched that space again. But I haven't had it since. Uh, I haven't had the same psychedelic level immersion in that experience since that moment. I'm on day, I'm 100 days past that point now, right? So that's kind of the neat thing too. So the non-dualistic experience that I had really hooked me. I'm hooked now and I have a passion and a fire that I didn't get from the 420 days because that felt nice, but it wasn't powerful, right? This was powerful. I literally have felt different from that day forward because of that experience. The same way that, and this happens in life, right? Like, so let's say you watch a friend die or you get married or you do a really intense psychedelic and have some profound insight into your life and your character and your flaws. These things just happen, right? You've had something like that, I'm sure. And I have too. But this was another one of those things, but made all the more pure by the fact that it wasn't contextual. There was no, like, I did a bunch of mushrooms. There was no, I just had some crazy experience. Uh, it was just practicing contemplative stuff. I was just working on it, and it came up all on its own. Uh, and it was powerful for that reason, because the terms ego death and all those things, the sense of the self being an illusion, um, I've always thought about those things, but I've never been able to embody them, right? Like, I'm jumping topics a lot, and I hope that I've, I can keep your attention here, because this is all one full picture. Uh, but as a brief tangent, I did uh, pretty much all my years in college take advantage of free counseling that was there, because it just seemed rational to work on my issues as a person. Um, and something that I found came up again and again is that you know, I would talk through things and there would be this basic understanding of where I was at with a topic and what uh, uh, what the solution was to my problem. But there was this gap always of like, I know rationally what I need to do. I know the way forward. I know how to fix my problem here. But I can't, like, mentally feel it. I can't feel the way I ought to feel, right? Like, I just, my my monkey brain overpowered my rational brain. Um, and eventually I'd find peace in things, but that was always the rub. Anyway, coming back to the present moment, uh, this non-dualistic experience, it kind of, 
it kind of gave me that because it killed my sense of self in a really positive way. Um, because once you've truly felt that moment, once you've felt conscious experience devoid of all its typical contents, but with everything else present, and just you aren't there in the sense that you think, and everything's just there for you to experience. It teaches you something so powerful about the nature of reality and the nature of your own mind that I feel different now. I really do. And life is just easier. <laughs> and all it took was just 30 days sitting on my couch, right? Like, if you need an elevator pitch, that's it. It's not that much commitment, really, to radically change the way you feel about your relationships and your own mind and your goals and how you experience the present moment. It's a pretty worthwhile trade-off. Um, because now, even if I totally stopped, I don't think I would completely lose the kernel of what I felt. I think I would not keep progressing the way that I am. Uh, it makes more sense to keep practicing. But, like, I think I learned an un... I think I learned a lesson I can't unlearn that day. That's huge. Um, that's all the worth right there. But so anyway, it hooked me. Now I'm committed to lifelong mindfulness. Um, will I keep up the hour-long practice forever? Maybe, maybe not. Um, I'm already showing real-life flexibility. Like, I've committed to 133 days at this point, uh, and it's been like 99% there. But even then, um, I finally had my break, uh, what was it, Friday? Like, I finally didn't do a full hour uh, in my streaks. I kind of broke the streak. Actually, on my <laughs> my X's on the calendar, I put a little squiggly through the one half of the X, like one of the lines was squiggly, or dotted rather, to show that I mostly did it, um, but to showcase it nonetheless. Because I also wanted to make peace with not maintaining the streak. Like, at a certain point, almost certainly, I probably am going to break the streak. I'm still going to keep with it. My goal is to maintain the streak, but I'm so devoted now, I'm so hooked that... And why am I so hooked? Because I realize it's not the streak. It's not the hour of meditation. Now, an hour every day, and maintaining the streak is super important to continuing to practice, to continuing to grow, to continuing to develop everything that I'm doing here. But I'm, I guess the point I'm making is that you want to commit to a single-minded maintenance of a practice first until you get the important lesson. And then when you no longer lose the forest for the trees, then you can miss a tree, right? Like you can miss a tree and still see the forest and keep looking at trees. When you first start looking at trees, you got to keep looking at the trees or else you're not going to see the forest. Once you've seen it, though, yeah, miss a tree, but keep looking at trees, right? That's a weird metaphor, but it works. Um, so that's where I'm at with it now, uh, and I'm going to stay here because 
I listen. I'm gonna go to work now, like soon, because I've rambled on this way, way longer than I expected. Why? Because I fucking care about this. Like, I became super passionate about the carnivore diet two years ago because of everything it's brought about my life and all the lessons it's taught me about nutrition. And much in the same way, I can still help you build a better vegan diet if you need advice. Uh, I'd recommend against veganism. There's many diets you can follow. Um, It's probably at the bottom of the list for me, other than like standard American diet. Um, Anyway, let's not get get lost in that. Um, It's... The, the excitement, the enthusiasm, the knowledge, the breadth that I have in that nutritional world, the passion I carry there. I'm doing all of this inevitably. The podcast I'm doing right now stems from the original moment of me starting Carnivore, actually, if you think about it, uh, because that started um, the show, which started the podcast. Like, it kind of all stems from that. So anyway, that's a huge life thing for me, right? Uh, meditation is now that, if not more so. Like the biggest changes in my 20s that have radically changed my life that I'm always going to stick mostly to, right? Like I'm still strict carnivore. I really haven't cheated. Um, I'm going to stay there, right? Like maybe at a certain point I'll cheat. Maybe at a certain point I'll be 90% carnivore, right? But the lesson that it taught me remains. Meat is fundamental to human nutrition and it is health food. Indeed, it is the healthiest food right? And so the more meat you eat, generally speaking, you're just healthier. So if you eat all meat, you're super healthy. Um, <coughs> that's that general, that general concept sticks with me. Um, now meditation, the same thing, the general ideas of the contents of consciousness of being aware of what is and isn't thinking and what you and you are not Tying that to the very visceral and very real experience, the very real possibility that you can experience with no filter. Like, that's a real thing. That's not just some idealized state. Uh, that's a real thing. Um, and so what am I doing now? Uh, what, what's, the, what's the forward? What's the future? Yeah, there's the wonderful glowing notion that I'm committing to something greater, right? But what is the greater? Well, it's just training to continue to get closer to that state. Um, And the funny thing is, the lesson is in the practice itself because I have had some non-dualistic moments, but I haven't had that experience. I will again. But the only way I'll have it again is to not seek it. That's the point. Like, oh, what a cool experience. Um, Well... I have to not crave that experience. I have to just continue to sit and not fight my thoughts for an hour to have more of them and to continue learning these lessons. So it's very humbling. You can't, you can't fuck it up because when you're fucking up, you're just fucking it up. As long as you're staying principled, you're learning the lesson by staying principled. Um, so it's really interesting in that way. Um, so I do need to wrap this up. Uh, and this is honestly, I could do a separate episode of other implications. I could keep going for another hour after this, but this is a big purview of it. So let's encapsulate it. Um, I did have another interesting experience within the first 60 days, probably about 10 days after the non-dualistic experience. Uh, I actually had a full blown auditory hallucination. Uh, when I got into my kind of 
cruising altitude part of my session. Um, I had basically what felt like sleep paralysis while awake. And then uh, I had like a, a true vision, like think of like a medicine man vision of like the door in my Florida room busting open and like this ball of light, kind of this energy light being flying into me and like blasting through my face and washing over my body and kind of purifying and shocking and soaking me with white light. Uh, And then boom, I'm like reset and I'm back on the couch again. And then as soon as that happened, I had a full-blown psychedelic, legitimately auditory hallucination. I felt like a pressure wave of sound, but just the wave itself, like the raw experience of Haha, raw. <laughs> the, of the sound wave hitting my eardrum and passing through. Uh, very trippy. Um, I had that experience kind of like taken from the peak of an actual trip, just planted into two minutes of my sober reality. Uh, that was very fascinating too. That's something that comes with very high level meditation. Um, so, yeah, within my first 60 days, I was given a glimpse of why a monk goes on retreat for 10 years, right? Like the things you hear about from Buddhists that devote their whole life to nonstop this practice. But I got I got a distinct view of it. I had a personal experience with that possibility in the first 60 days. Um it's almost like, it's a weird metaphor, but l- l- tying it back, let's say you do a bunch of caffeine and steroids and pre-workout and eat a bunch and work out really hard, and you get to feel and see what it's like to be kind of a, an elite bodybuilder uh, by cheating, so to speak, with steroids or whatever. But I'm not cheating with my current practice, but anyway, that it, it's a loose metaphor, but that kind of kind of wraps it together in a way like I I see it now right so at the end here I'm tying back to the start I walked through all those things to show you the actual reality of what I experienced to help build up why I started out saying the things that I did right because the reality is there now and it's very real I'm about to go to work Um, ultimately uh, my direct report, the guy that I supervise, uh, it's very possible he's going to bring personal challenges to me, right? Uh, I feel more equipped to handle that now and to hear him and to experience him honestly and to not experience and take personally whatever he's saying. I can better experience now just the person on the other side um, because of all this. I, I feel that I can approach art more honestly. I feel that the growing up that I've been doing in the past half decade, I've just accelerated that entire process. And every day that I continue to do this and to continue to practice, I'm growing up faster. I'm getting better as a person. My life is happier. I'm experiencing things more honestly. Is everything different now? No. But yes. <laughs> it I'm exactly where I was. But I know exactly where I'm at now. I, I'm I feel so much more honest about 
where I'm at in life, where I'm at in my personal development, who I am in other people's lives. Uh, I, I can relate to my own flaws, my own complexes, my own tendencies, my own frustrating habits. I can do all these things now more honestly and more clearly, and I have more freedom uh, to engage with them. I've broken the spell a little bit, just enough to know that the spell can be broken. It is real, okay? It, it's This is, if you don't do it, you don't do it. I've certainly believed in it a long time and tried a lot before I really committed to this level, so I get it. But what you choose to do with this information is on you. And maybe you just don't believe me. And maybe you think this is just new age, woo-woo, eastern mysticism, hogwash. Outside of that, though, the facts have been brought to you. They are real. I've described to you now, in an hour and a half's worth of words, essentially, the fact of the matter that if you put some plates on a bar, and you sit there and you lift it again and again, your arms are going to get bigger. If you sit there and set a timer and commit to just noticing and letting yourself be and just let things exist as they actually already exist and just honestly be there for that, just honestly Engage and be in that moment. Be here. Be here right now. Do that in a focused, intentional way. Consistently. For a long period of time. And much like your arms will get bigger when you lift that bar, your life will get better. Everything. Everything you experience. Day to day. Second to second. Everything about your life, about your reality, about your experience, in time, it'll get better. It'll just, it just gets easier. Life, life is, there are no rules. And if you choose to live a life bogged down in anxieties and just battered by the endless buffeting winds to the rocky shores of your own fucking impulsive mind and the constant implanted Darwinistic biological imperative to just be anxious and afraid and worried and thinking all the fucking time forever. You can do that. And in fact, that's what almost everyone will do. And then you die. Or you can just see that that is what is happening, you can just non-judgmentally realize in a very real and very visceral way that that is indeed the story of your life. That is all that it is. It's just the non-stop story you're telling yourself. That's all that you know. What you could know is that that's all made up. And there's something real. There's something underneath all of that that is actually true. And you can be there and you can experience that. And that will always be better than what you already know. The lie that you've been living in and that you will continue to live in even when you realize this. 
that constant chatter, that constant separation from reality. Realize it. It's the only chance you stand of being free of it and being free of your burdens. Feel that moment. Feel this moment. And truly and forever, just actually be free. <laughs>